This podcast is brought to you by HealthCareInfoSecurity.com, the leading online publication for risk management and security professionals within the healthcare industry. This is Howard Anderson, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today we're talking about the proposed accounting of disclosures rule with Adam Green, partner at the law firm Davis Wright Tremaine. Thanks so much for joining us today, Adam. Thank you for having me. You recently left the staff of the HHS Office for Civil Rights, which prepared the new disclosures rule. Briefly describe what your role was at the office before you left, uh, whether you were involved in the preparation of this rule, and uh, tell us a little bit about your new role. Certainly. So while I was at OCR, I was the senior advisor on health IT and privacy. So in essence, what that meant was I was responsible for applying HIPAA to health information technology, whether it be electronic health records, personal health records, health information exchange, or even areas like cloud computing or texting. And as for the accounting rule, I was the primary author of the proposed rule that was published today. So um, that was definitely a big area of work for me the past year. And now I'm over at Davis Wright Tremaine as a partner in their HIPAA health IT practice. So um, Davis Wright has historically had a very deep bench in um, HIPAA and privacy, and so I'm very excited to be joining it. The Notice of Proposed Rulemaking contains a two-pronged approach, offering patients an access report as well as a separate accounting of disclosures. This approach seems to go beyond what was actually mandated in the HITECH Act. Can you tell us a bit why this two-pronged approach was taken, or at least describe it? I'll do my best on this. I I can't provide any non-public information, but I can certainly talk about the intent that um, OCR expressed in the preamble. So accounting of disclosures has always been a tough challenge for healthcare providers and other covered entities such as health plans. I think OCR recognized that it's always been a very burdensome process. It's generally a very manual process. Um, and that anecdotally, OCR had received reports that there's fairly few requests coming in for patients to actually receive an accounting of disclosures. Nevertheless, high tech doubled down a little bit on the accounting of disclosures requirement by expanding it, taking out the exception for treatment payment healthcare operations to the extent that that exception was through an electronic health record. And so, um, OCR was in the position of needing to fulfill the mandate of the High Tech Act and ensure that there is expanded accounting access for treatment payment healthcare operations to the extent it's through an electronic health record, but also fully recognize some of the problems that have traditionally occurred with respect to accounting. And so the proposal does this two-pronged approach. One side is better improving the workability of the accounting of disclosures requirement. And um, OCR really points to the statutory provision that says when enacting this, OCR should look at the benefit to individuals of the information and the burden on covered entities. So OCR really took that to heart and looked at how to adjust the current accounting requirements to better reflect that balance. And then you also have this other issue of expanding to electronic health records, treatment, payment, healthcare operations. And so what OCR did there is looked at what information tends to be of most interest to individuals. And what OCR had been hearing is that 
individuals oftentimes aren't looking for a general map of how their information is used or disclosed. They're, they're looking at very specific, has my neighbor seen my information? Has my ex-husband or ex-wife seen my information? And they don't care necessarily whether it's a use or disclosure, meaning they don't care if it's a nurse who's an employee of the hospital where it would be an, a use versus whether it's a doctor with physician privileges or someone outside the organization where it's a disclosure. They just want to get this basic information, who has seen my information. And so that's the second prong of this rule is what's the best way to get the information that individuals are most interested in, which is who has seen their records. And so that second prong is what OCR refers to as an access report, where they provide this report, which could be customized to a single individual. If the patient just wants to know about one person, then that's all that they need to see. Alternatively, it could be a list of hundreds of individuals who have seen their records. So that's a two-pronged approach that was taken answering a very specific question with the access report, and then also streamlining and better improving the general accounting requirements. All right, just to make sure we understand the difference between the two, how does the access report and the accounting for disclosures reports uh, requirements differ? Tell us a little bit more about that. So the access report is really just focused on the identity of the individual. Uh, the requirements of the rule of the proposed rule are just to provide the date, time, and name of individual who accessed an electronic designated record set. Um, now, there's a few other elements that are listed as required if available. So, could be user action, for example, such as whether the user of the computer systems actually modified the record or deleted the record. Um, it also could be what kind of information was accessed, such as medications. Some software currently, so newer electronic health records, for example, may readily have that information available in audit logs. And if that information is readily available, then it needs to be included in the access report. But OCR's proposal makes clear that if your system doesn't currently have that capability, a healthcare provider wouldn't have to change their systems to collect that. So that's the access report, just primarily focused on the who. The accounting of disclosures um, refers to what I sometimes call the full accounting, and that's more detailed information, most specifically why. So why was a particular disclosure made? Could be something such as the disclosure was made to for the purposes of law enforcement or for the purposes of public health. And that's something that's been required for quite some time, dating back to April 2003. Um, so the full accounting will, ha will include the purpose of the disclosure and certain other information, such as the address of the recipient, if available. So those, so those are the main distinctions. Okay, as you've mentioned, the proposal makes reference to telling patients about who has access designated record sets. Help us to understand that term, designated record sets, and why that term is used instead of electronic health records. And Do designated record sets apply to both the access reports and the accounting for disclosures provisions? Sure. So the designated record set is a term of art under HIPAA that's been around since the HIPAA final rule back in December 2000. And it really has three categories to it, the medical record, the billing records, and then a sort of catch-all category of other information that may have been used to make decisions about the patient's treatment or payment. 
So certainly the electronic health record, to the extent that that's a medical record, is going to fall within the designated record set. Um, billing information, which may be in a practice management system, is also going to be part of the designated record set. And then generally other information that's used to make payment or, or treatment decisions. In contrast, you might have, for example, a um, morbidity and mortality group that's looking at um, causes of complications at a hospital. Um, and that's pur for purposes of quality assurance, quality improvement. And so something like, a system like that would be outside of the designated record set. So the designated record set is being applied to the access report. So the, you only have to look at electronic access to electronic designated record sets. Um, any information that might be just a random piece of health information outside of de a designated record set would not fall under the access report. And then on accounting, that's part of the streamlining that's happened with accounting in that in the past, all protected health information was subject to the accounting of disclosures rule. So you could have a straight piece of paper um, floating around a hospital or a health plan, and you'd have to be able to account for any disclosures of that information. The um, proposed rule would limit information to that within a designated record set, which should um, be a more reasonable burden on covered entities because they should have a clear idea of where their designated record sets are, and it should be a bit easier to track that that type of information. Okay, in your new role as an attorney advising folks about HIPAA, uh, what do you see as the major challenges involved in complying with this rule, if any? Well, it's going to differ a lot by organization. If If your organization has a really solid audit program in place already, so under the HIPAA security rule, there should be system activity logs if you're already doing that, if you've had, got audit logs and you've got it turned on, there won't necessarily be a huge lift for complying with this rule if it becomes finalized as proposed because it's really just taking those audit logs and taking some information from them, specifically the, the, the um, name of the user who accessed the information, the date and time, and just pulling that together into a report. Now, um, Recognizing, though, that hospitals oftentimes and other large providers may have dozens of systems that have designated record set information, so there will be some burden on, on hospitals or other healthcare entities to go through and create an aggregate report based on access reports from all these different systems. But what at least is beneficial here is the burden should be proportionate to the interests of individuals. And what I mean by that is if you only receive one request a year for an access report, then your burden should only be pulling together an access report once a year. This is a significant change from the accounting rule where even if you don't receive any accounting requests, it could be very burdensome to go through and track all these types of disclosures. So if you've got a good audit system in place, it may not be a big lift, and in fact, the net effect of this proposed rule may be easing up on your burden quite a bit because of the streamlining of the accounting requirements. In contrast, if despite the security rule, you have not been keeping maintaining audit logs, you have not been logging all access to the electronic health record and to other designated record sets, then 
coming into compliance with this proposed rule, if it becomes finalized as is, um, could be a significant burden and um, may take a lot of resources to, to get to that level. So this is a notice of proposed rulemaking. Um, educate us on the remaining steps in the rulemaking process before this rule goes into effect and what's the likely effective date if things go according to plan. Well, the um, process would be that it's open for comment. So um, there's a 60-day comment period, which will end on August 1st. And so any covered entities, any privacy advocates, any interested parties are free to comment. And, and all those comments do get reviewed by OCR and do have some impact on the final rule. As for when a final rule would go into effect, I'm always cautious about throwing out dates. Uh, I'll tell you that it's going to take some time. I, I would expect that there's going to be a large number of comments, and it'll take a number of months to go through those comments. And then after that, it'll take months to write the final rule, put it through internal agency clearance, and then interdepartmental clearance through OMB. So certainly no less than six months would I expect a final rule to be out, and it, it certainly could be closer to a year before um, we see a final rule. And then once the final rule comes out, um, there, there will be a um, compliance period, which if the proposed rule becomes finalized in this particular respect, then there would be about 240 days from publication for covered entities to change their accounting of disclosures requirements. So, that, so that's the, the full accounting. And that, that shouldn't be problematic because that's really a streamlining of systems. So it will actually be less burdensome then the time frame for, for, for complying with the access report requirement, the, the WHO requirement, if you will, that the proposed rule proposes a date of January 1st, 2013 for entities to come into compliance for newer systems, designated record set systems that are from January 1st, 2009 on. And if you've got an older legacy system that predates 2009, under the proposed rule, you'll even have longer, January 1st, 2014, before you have to start providing people with compliance reports. So there, there will be a matter of years before compliance is required, at least under the time frame set forth in the proposed rule. Okay, so finally, in the time that uh, folks have to get prepared, uh, what advice would you give them on the kinds of steps you should be taking in order to be uh, fully compliant when the... Uh, deadlines actually take place. As to what I would advise for today, don't panic. It's a proposed rule. We don't know what the final rule would look like, so I would caution against spending huge resources to come into compliance with the content of the proposed rule. That being said, it's a good time, though, to look at your audit systems, make sure that they're turned on. You know, There's an expectation that you should already have audit logs in place turned on um, and you should start keeping those indefinitely because it could be that as of the compliance date for the access report, you have to go back three years and provide a um, audit log for that three-year period. So it's good to make sure that your audit systems are in place right now, turned on, and being stored. And the other area would be it's a good time to reassess your designated record sets. So every covered entity should know which systems are designated record sets they should know that for purposes of providing patient access to a copy of their information because under HIPAA, they're currently required to provide a copy of any information in a designated record set. 
So now is a good time to just check that you've got documentation as to which systems are designated record sets and to reassess that in light of this new potential responsibility for designated record sets. Thanks very much. We've been talking today with attorney Adam Green. This is Howard Anderson. Thanks so very much for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by healthcareinfosecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.healthcareinfosecurity.com.